On today's Locked On Big 12, we discuss the future of the conference and as it relates to the conference realignment storylines, the bad beef between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. John Kurtz is here. Excited to talk some shop. You are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Big 12 podcast, joined by John Kurtz today, who uh, I'm sure many of you who watch this channel, listen to this, listen to this show, are familiar with him, does work on YouTube, KC Sports Network, does some play-by-play as well for K-State. Uh, John, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, a lot of my, a lot of the folks who watch and listen, they, they reference some of the stuff they see on your show, and they reference some of the stuff they three, see at 365 Sports. And I just have to ask you, uh, the realignment, it's just the gift that keeps on giving for people like us, is it not? <laughs> it's a pretty good, uh, it, it's a pretty good, like, endless news cycle, right? Like, it, it just, no matter what happens, there's always some little update. Uh, it's it's crazy to me how all that's worked out. Like, that is that is not what I set out to do. That w- It just kind of no. happened. Um, I was doing a K-State-only YouTube channel and had a video right after the Texas-Oklahoma thing first broke back in July 2021. And it had realignment in the title and I just saw like the views on it went crazy. And I was like, okay, I guess maybe I should keep doing more of this. And then, you know, we're sitting here like what, almost two years later and, right. uh, and I'm still making videos. So yeah, it's uh it's pretty good for content creators. No doubt. I, I think the one thing, one part of it though, cause you see a whole lot of why, why do you big 12 talking heads keep talking about it? You know, number one is like people love to listen. I mean, I, I think the, the industry of, of college sports is super interesting. And I think the second thing is, Whatever happens next, and I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but like it could be the most important move in recent college, you know, college uh, athletics memory. Because here's the deal: is that the Big Ten and the and the SEC have separated themselves. The ACC is locked into one of the weirdest, most protective but awful television contracts ever because they're there until 2036. But also, it kind of protects them because of how strong the grant of rights is. So the two other conferences we're talking about are the Big Twelve and the Pac-12, and there is a realistic shot that one of them not might eat the other, but could take a large bite out of it that could basically desperately weaken the other one and make it into a non power league. And so it's, I think it's safe to say like, this is a massive move because the pack staying together is not status quo, but it, it kind of, pers- you know, pushes off what feels inevitable with super conferences. And if not, we get, we start moving more and more towards super leagues and the, size and depth of those super super leagues varies in terms of finances and which teams are in them. But this, the next move is massive. It's going to be a massive history defining one, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the couple of things that came to mind there for me is like, well, one, why do we always talk about it? I mean, you're right. The market dictates that like people yeah. really are into it. I mean, there, there's a reason you have so many people out there doing it on YouTube, podcast, Twitter, whatever it might be. Like it's a, it's one of those topics that's just like endless fascination that people have with it. And and I get that. And that's because it's, it's a world, there's a world of possibilities uh, that you can play around with it. Everybody can kind of have an, an opinion and come at it from their own slant, which I think opens it up to, you know, a lot of people wanting to do it. But the other thing is like, I would use the analogy of, you know, to your point of like the next move is going to be huge. It's kind of like, we're always in a, you know, I'm from big 12 country, obviously, right? Like flyoverville, USA, truck stop conference, all that stuff. Shout out to Utah fans. Um, we're in tornado watches quite a bit, right? And I, I grew up 
in the Midwest. So I'm at the point where I'm just now like, you know, whatever I, but, but you're always kind of halfway paying attention because you know, like if it turns into a warning and if that actually does happen, that's going to be a huge deal and that'll be life altering and a big thing. That to me is kind of like what the realignment situation is right now. Like it could be the end of the pac 12, like that, that very well could happen, could happen tomorrow, could happen a couple of months from now. Uh, they continue to drag their feet and nothing seems to be really concrete moving that way, but you always have to be on high alert because if, and when that move does happen, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a conference with over a hundred years of history uh, together that, that could just disintegrate like that. So um, that's, that's why it is so intriguing and interesting to people because you're, I mean, I can remember from July, 2021, like you feel like your, your whole fan life is just hanging in the balance there. I mean, this, this thing that we love and really care about uh, is hanging in the balance. Unfortunately for Big 12 fans now, it, it seems like the Big 12 is kind of out, at least for now, out of the woods as far as that goes. And the Pac-12 is is the league that is in there. So, yeah, when that move happens, I mean, it seems pretty cut and dried at this point. Like, we need to get what the numbers are going to be. George Klyukov needs to get a deal, like, on the table for the Pac-12. And then those presidents can decide whether or not that's good enough for them and whether or not they want to stick around. And that will determine whether or not that, that league is going to stick around right now. Obviously, with extenuating circumstances, too, for the Big Ten and Oregon and Washington, which is kind of a different piece of the whole equation, especially now that the Big Ten is, is looking for a new commissioner. So uh, a lot of moving parts, and that, again, is why there's so much content available for it, because there are just so many moving parts in all of it. Yeah, and, and I think the part that sometimes get, gets lost in a lot of it is um, I wouldn't say the human cost, but like we, we look at it almost in a very political way, you know, in politics, do we use job numbers and, you know, talk about things like unemployment and the amount of money that's given towards certain things. And it's, it's almost just hard to kind of comprehend it. You know, what does it mean? You know what I mean? What, what does it mean to have this much unemployment or inflation be like this? Well, it, you know, like, what does it mean for like the, the big 12 to, to lose how much money they're getting each year or the SEC to have an increase or the PAC 12 to go away. And you mentioned, you know, it was happening after OU in Texas left. I was, you know, I, I, at the time I was at home, but I had taken a job with XM about a year before and I was working on the big 12 channel as an associate producer and then COVID happened and I was living home, still working remote. And then I'm like, okay, so I got this job, a pandemic happened. And then, you know, now we're sitting there being like, is the conference I, I cover on a daily basis even to be around anymore? And this is the part of it. I think it's, you know, we almost forget. I, I, there's so much animosity. I think it's grown up between the fan bases. I, I, I try, I always try to tell people who watch and whatnot, look like Washington state and Oregon state have fans just like you, you know, just, we, there are Oregon state fans who are just like Iowa state fans, you know, and, and we all love our schools. We love our teams. And like, honestly, what we all want is we want them to be able to compete on the same level as everybody else is the playing field level. No, but at least give us a shot. And that's the one part about this I always struggle with being like, I do hope the Big 12 succeeds. I do hope it it goes on. But there is a side of it where it's like, you know, like I don't want Washington State fans and Oregon State fans like, you know, to feel like their conference, their games don't mean as much anymore. It's just it's now I know life's not fair, but, you know, like what, what there could be somebody who spends a ton of money and who's given to a collective and has season tickets and and donates as much as they can and are doing their part and it just seems unfair that there are those folks out there who are going to lose, you know, maybe a chance to, to play with the big boys. Cause like that's, that's where this thing is headed. And look, I think all of the big 12 fans, I'm sure folks, you know, uh, love K state too, had those same anxieties and everybody's going through it. So it's not the other fan bases we should really be mad at. You know, I think, I think it's the more of the leadership, you know, if you're mad about the, what the PAC 12 said about the big 12, the ire goes more towards 
school presidents and George Klyavkov, I think, and, you know, towards like Oregon State fans. I think I just I like to keep that in perspective. Well, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's just a it's just a crappy situation the way that this worked out. And there is a ton of animosity there. And I would just say a couple things like one. I mean, I have a ton of empathy for Oregon State and Washington State fans. And I, I try to when my mentions are getting filled up with Pac-12 people and like I, I try to stay away from like going after Oregon State and Washington State fans that much right. because truly, I mean, they're in the worst position and it's the same position that I felt like my school was in, uh, K-State, back in July 2021, where there, there would not really be much of a home. And and by the way, Oregon State and Washington State have pretty good things going in football right yeah. now. But, um, so you, you feel doubly bad for them. The problem is there's just been so much animosity built up for Big 12 fans over the years because of they've always been the conference that was getting crapped on by everybody. And then when everything went down in July, there was a feeling of like, hey, everybody in the Pac-12 said, eh, no thanks, we don't want to merge or take anybody over there. And this felt like there was a lot of grave dancing coming from in particular, like some of the media um, that covers the Pac-12 and that fans there, you know, when it wasn't their team and they could just laugh at the Big 12. There was the Klyavkov comment about that we haven't decided if we're going shopping there yet, you know, as if the, there were items in the Big yeah. 12. Yeah, just very adversarial from the the way I think the Big 12 perceived, like nobody cares about us and nobody cares about our plight um, back in, in 2021 when all that happened and you felt like you were left for dead and that the Pac-12 was a big part of that and that those fans didn't care and just continue to treat you like a punchline. So it's it's just like years old wounds, I think, there that have been exposed. And now that it's the Pac-12 that's in that situation, um, you know, it, this is a, it, it's a generalization to say like, hey, everybody there, we should be mad at everybody and be pointing and laughing at everybody and be like, hey, Matt, you're getting what you deserve. But some of them certainly are because, I, you know, there were plenty of them, not all of them, but plenty. So that that's really where this animosity has built up. And then now it's just devolved into. I mean, it's the same thing as any political argument, political parties, like anything we argue about in 2023, like the same piece of information can come out there. We were just talking about this a second ago, like the Arizona president can come out here with, quote, everybody will take it that and package it as to how it fits their narrative and what they want, when in reality, the truth is probably somewhere in between. So every news cycle, something comes out and the Pac-12 side will figure out a way to spin that to hey, that's good for us and the Big 12 crew will find a way to spread that too. All right, the Pac-12 is disintegrating and everybody's coming here. Um, and so it's just, it's kind of, I, I will admit, I mean, it's kind of a sad state of affairs. I don't I don't particularly enjoy that it's it's turned that adversarial between the two sides, but that is just kind of the reality of the world that we're living in right now. Yeah, you know, I read, it's so funny you mentioned that. And and for those of you who are watching, uh, Dennis Dodd at a, at a piece, and I always encourage you all to go out. You know, if we ever reference anything, and sure, John, you're the same way, Go and read the stuff that we're talking about, folks. Like, there are a lot of people who miss a lot of information that is explained in some of these things that would kind of make all of our understanding. So, do as much reading as you can, whether it's John Wilner or Dennis Dodd. You know, I encourage you all to, to go out there. Look, John Canzano pieces can be a bit of a slog uh, just because, you know, it's like Colorado State fits the Big 12. It's like that is not the thing that's going to happen. Not sure why we're even talking about it. But I think it's interesting you mentioned you know, what's happening with Dennis Dodd in his article about the Arizona president. And I take his comments from, from, I guess, was it now two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, whatever it was, and the ones that he's making today. And, you know, you and I had a really short chat about it before the show, but it's, it's pretty simple. And I think their, their honesty about the situation, uh, it's what is it, President Robbins or Roberts? I always forget his name. His name is Robin Roberts, isn't it? I always forget. I think it's like Robert, Robert Robbins. Robert Robbins flipped around. Yeah. Has been very honest saying, like, we'd like to stay. That is our preference. 
We want it to be a cable contract. He mentioned that in this article. Um, but if not, if George doesn't get the job done, then, then we're open to leaving. And I think no matter what the Utah AD says, no matter what the Arizona state president says, the fact that we have reported in saying these schools have been in contact with the big 12 and we have the honesty of Arizona, like that cannot be the only school that's thinking about it and shame on them. If they are, no, those schools are not doing their due diligence for their, for their athletic futures. If they're not kind of approaching it with the Arizona approach. Now, I'm not sure if it's been your experience too. The Arizona folks seem like they really do want to join the Big 12. Like they very much want to be in the league. Uh, definitely more so than anybody else. Like, yes. it, you know, not, not, not that there aren't, I'm sure there are some Arizona State. And I've seen a little bit of that with Colorado um, wanting to come back too. But a Arizona to me is like, the, that's the linchpin. Like I, people think of this as like all the four corners coming at once. I view it more like you got to, you got to sit there and like chip away and, and chip one block off of it, you know, like get one of them to come and then see if that starts a domino effect. And that's, that's really what you're looking at here. And Arizona clearly is the one that is the most approachable in this situation. And I'm with you. I mean, I took, you know, that was one of the perfect examples that the Arizona president comes out and basically says, I'm paraphrasing here, but one, we, we have some affinities for the big 12. We, there are things we like about it with basketball and culture and, you know, geographical fit. Like the, it, it can definitely work, but at the same time, we would prefer to stay in the Pac-12. Uh, another analogy I've been using with all this, like nobody likes moving. I mean, even if you're moving into a bigger house, the process of moving sucks. Like nobody really wants to do it. So if you don't have to, like, yeah, of course, totally agree. of course they'd rather stay. Um, but they, they also understand the reality of the situation. And, and there was another quote in there that basically said like, look, I need a number from George and then we'll evaluate. And I'm like, okay, so what these quotes said, like, yes, it did say, and, and it went on, he went on to say, by the way, that um, I feel like George is going to get a good enough deal for us. And so, yes, like that is very much true. And I'm sure like that's what the Pac-12 kind of has to posture right now. I mean, that's what you should be posturing publicly, but it was also a public admission that there are things they like about the big 12 and that they're going to have to make a decision here once they get all the numbers about it. So yeah, I think that's really the reality, like for all these schools, I don't think the Pac-12 is like tomorrow on the verge of necessarily disintegrating, but if the numbers don't come back from whatever this deal is, whether it's whether we're talking visibility numbers or we're talking actual monetary numbers, there is a chance that that one of these schools decides to leave and it kicks in a domino effect here. So that is possible, although I would not put it as like the favorite to happen right now. I've been saying like, I don't know, no inside info or anything, but it just feels to me like, I don't know, like 30, 70 Maybe that the Big 12 winds up with with a four-corner school or two. Um, so I don't think it's the overwhelming likely thing to happen, but it's definitely a possibility. And it's also clearly not sunshine and rainbows like, you know, sometimes John Canzano would, would paint no. that on the other side because we've had the Arizona State athletic director come out and admit that it's been very frustrating. Um, and again, we have the Arizona president coming out and saying like, yeah, we'll have a decision to make once we get all of the available information. So it's not, you know, I also, you know, I would even bristle it like, and I, I like most of what Dennis Dodd has done and I, I respect Dennis Dodd, but there was the one article about your Mark where he was like comparing him to Paul McCartney and, uh, you know, so th there's yeah. things that kind of tilt, I think, too far on the other right. side. Right, and like 20 articles about how they're still in contact with the schools. It's like, we know this. We've been, we've, we've yeah. been over this you know, a million times. I think another part of this too, and, and there's, there is a big, there's a large amount of reading between the lines that you kind of have to do, Right. So think about it like this. The Pac-12 comes out with their statement where they're like, we're all together in this, right? We, they had this, which was weird, and we're getting near a deal. Then they have their presidents go out and basically talk about, look, we're together. 
And so if you read between the lines on this, it is, you're all saying, you know, we're getting close, we're approaching, but also you keep saying we need to see a number, which tells me that you're not that close. We're still talking about, well, we need to see a number. Like, well, then you're not very close. But also because you're out there together, because you're signing statements, because you are going out there together, it is pretty clear there is a desire to stay there. There is that piece to that. The one thing that disrupts all of this to me is Oregon and Washington. They have been so quiet about a lot of this. They would love to stay there. I think it's 100% true. Here's the issue for them. John, I believe they view themselves as two schools that should be powerhouses, right? They've both both made the college ball playoff. Um, in Oregon's case, what, multiple times, I believe? And then been twice, whatever. I mean, they've played for a national championship twice in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, so, you know, they, they have been a very strong program. And they have a strong financial backing, right? Washington, Seattle, and then also Oregon is Nike's college football school. Full stop. Bill Knight is, you know, loves Oregon. And so I'm wondering, you know, your thoughts on this. I mean, the numbers that are being passed around, if you're Oregon and Washington, how do you stomach that big of a gap compared to Rutgers and Illinois and Iowa and Maryland? I mean, I would rather go to the Big Ten and take, let's just say, 60% of what they're making than go to the, even the Big 12 or or the you know stay in the Pac-12. I mean, that's the one thing to me is like, if they want to be competitive, they cannot stomach that big of a gap. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's the same deal as like what, what you're seeing happening with Florida state, North Carolina, Miami right now with their leadership starting to say basically that exact same thing. Like, Hey, if, if I'm Florida state, like I'm looking at my arch rival Florida here and how much like, we cannot stomach that much of a gap between them when we feel like we're at equal in terms of com- competing with them. Um, and it's, it's the exact same sort of deal here with, with Oregon and Washington, who they deem to be their peers in the college football world. Um, and, and that is the, the problem for them. This is why this is so weird. And I think this is an under-talked about point, especially from the Pac-12 side of things, is like, okay, you can go try and get a deal and you can try and present what the numbers are going to be. But then, like, with that comes a grant of rights. And, like, how, how are you going to get Oregon and Washington to sign away their TV rights for an extended for like more than three years. Yeah. Extended period of time. Yeah. I mean, I, I would expect, by the way, I would not be shocked at all if it were like a three year grant of rights, three year TV deal, because that's the furthest that they're willing to go with it. But the other problem with the timing on this is exactly what's going on with the big 10. Like if you're Oregon and Washington, are you going to sign on right now? And you don't even know who the next big 10 commissioner is going to be um, because you don't know what that next big 10 commissioner is going to think of you and, uh, and your candidacy and what they want to do. Now, it does seem from the reporting, it seems clear that the presidents in the big 10 don't really, or at least didn't really have the stomach to totally deliver the kill shot uh, to the PAC 12. That was much more like a Kevin Warren thing. And they were maybe even trying to rein him in uh, a little bit on some of that. So I would guess that their next hire, they're probably not going to go for someone who's quite as designed that way as Kevin Warren is, but you never know. And so like, it's, it's hard for me to think if I'm Oregon or Washington, that I would be willing to sign something right now when I still don't know what that hire is going to be and where my standing is going to be with the Big Ten there. Because that's, I mean, it feels inevitable at some point. The Pac-12, the Pac-12 does not seem long for this world if we're talking like the next 10 to 15 years. Because in the next 10 Or at 15, least the Power 5 variation of the Pac-12. Yeah, right, right. Like, or, Oregon, well, I put it this way, Oregon and Washington being in the Pac-12 a decade from now, I, I don't think is very likely. Um, they're going to wind up there some way. And I'm with you. I, I think they would absolutely take a reduced revenue share in the big 10 if they're not going to be additive um 
I think they probably well, you're still going to make more money if you're taking 60 or 70 percent of the Big Ten's cut, and then at the same time you're just you've gotten yourself in the door, right? Uh, it, you're you're in the big boy league, um, you're getting better exposure, um, all those sort of things. It's it's kind of like you'd rather be, you know, I people always told me coming up in the broadcast industry, like just get an internship somewhere so that you're like in the door. You're not going to be making the money that you want to make, um, but you're at least in the door. And the next time something opens up or something happens, like you're you're there and they know you and you're there. So, yeah, of course, I think they would take that if they can get it. But are, are they going to get it? When is that going to happen? It's a really peculiar spot uh, for, for Oregon and Washington right now. The are they going to get it part is interesting, too, because I've, I've said this a bunch. If you're like Maryland and Rutgers and Illinois and Indiana and, and Purdue, do you add two schools that are better than you in football? Right, like that—that that is two more schools that are ahead, and, and not just. I mean, there's more schools than that that I listed, but those are two schools that are 100% better than. You know, and I, I lift out some teams. Uh, Northwestern, don't forget about that. I know they have their up, their up years, but generally speaking, you know, down. I mean, you're you're admitting two schools that are that are going to be better than you, right? Your your success is further away, and so yeah, I mean, if they're willing to take less, I, I would do it. But yeah, I, I think. Um, their situation is going to dictate a lot of this, I believe. But I'm with you. I just don't see them signing on for very long. Let's. I want to pivot to some K-State stuff because I know you're a K-State guy. Jerome Tang, just what a what an unbelievable breath of fresh air. And uh, you know, we don't know people the full. I think Chris Beard's a good example. That's like we don't know unless you know somebody, you really don't know them. But it appears Jerome Tang is like a, this awesome, awesome dude who is a good Christian man, which I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter to me, but like, at least he is, uh, he is a positive version of that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't seem like somebody who is, you know, doing, uh, you know, uh, like the, the stuff after the game where they lost and thanks Jesus Christ. I like that because you know what, at least he's consistent. You know, he's not doing the thing where it's like, after we win Jesus, after we lose, I'm not going to, you know, not going to do that. Like that consistency about him. The keep your head up stuff was great. What a run for them in a year. They weren't supposed to be that good. And I mean, he is by all accounts, uh, Basically, not Scott Drew reincarnated, but like he's a lot like Scott Drew and uh, appears to be just as good of a recruiter of talent as Scott Drew is. So, K State fans have to love what they saw in year one and uh, your thoughts on how it all went down. I know it was sad in the end, but a lot of fun. And we have a new great coach in the league. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I mean, man, uh, just as fun a year of following K State basketball as there has been in my life, uh, which is crazy. I mean, I, I never thought. I, I was in school for the 2009-2010 team, which was Jacob Poland, Denny Clemente. They went to the Elite Eight. They beat Xavier in double overtime. They they had a lead at the under-four timeout in the Elite Eight game against Butler. But lost uh, to Gordon Hayward and company. It didn't quite make the Final Four. And I, I just didn't think anything would ever top that. I mean, I, I feel like this does. And, and a part of it is because of what I feel like the future is. Like, I, I am as confident in Jerome Tang as any head coach at Kansas State – pretty much in my lifetime. And that includes Bill Snyder 1.0. Like I, you know, there's a big difference between Snyder 1.0 and 2.0. 1.0, he won 11 games six times in a seven year stretch. Um, it was nine of 10 years with nine plus wins with Snyder 1.0. And he had, as Jerome Tang would say, dudes. I mean, he had dudes in there all the time. This was not like the MacGyver it together with a bunch of walk-ons. Like they, they had talent, they had studs every year and they just reloaded. And I am at, at that level of confidence after one year with Tang because we already, I mean, he put together that roster that we saw with two All-Americans and a lot of talent. Naquan Tomlin, who's got the potential to be a first-round draft pick, he did that with nothing to sell. No head coaching experience, no excitement for the program, none of that. Now you're arming him with, his team has been the darling of the tournament. His point guard was for sure the darling of the tournament, and they were a three-seed and made the Elite Eight. So 
as painful as it was, I'm, I'm trying to focus most of my energy on that because there is a part of me that goes into the typical kind of K-State fan thinking like, listen, K-State has lost eight straight times in the Elite Eight. K-State has more Elite Eight appearances than all but six programs in NCAA history, and they have not been to a Final Four since 1964. So, I mean, it is soul crushing. I mean, I was in New York, man. I was I was like two rows behind the K-State bench uh, at Madison Square Garden, like right there. Um, they were that close. It is unbelievably painful. But at the same time, like I'm smart enough to recognize, like as long as Jerome Tang's around, they're going to be good. I think they'll be a high seed in the tournament. I think they'll compete for the Big 12. There's just really no doubt in my mind. And I even heard Tang say the other day on an interview that he did, I think it was with Matt Mosley, um, or he was already saying like, hey, as far as the portal goes, like we have access to a higher level of talent right now. We did, For us, it's mainly on like we've got to vet him and make sure they're the type of guy that we want. But he's already confirming basically what we're saying there. Like they're going to be able to recruit really, really well. And then as far as him as a person, I mean, just the way he's changed the culture I didn't even imagine it could be changed ever in the ways that he's changed it already in one year. I mean, ditching the the chant, you know, with, with KU, he really has everybody like one, not only like expecting to win, but like shifting the focus from, you know, because you get beat down. I mean, I, I live in Kansas city. Like it's, it's annoying as hell. I mean, you're just around Kansas stuff all the time and you get hit over the head with it all the time. And it's very hard to keep it away from dominating your thoughts. But now it's like, no, like th this program is great. They're doing it about joy and love, which, you know, even in the best Frank Martin years, it was all about anger. You know, we used to yeah. love yeah, shirts made when I was in school. They called the angriest place in college basketball because Jason Whitlock dubbed it that at one point. Uh, and that was like a point of pride. And now it's it's totally shifted the other way. And I just appreciate it so much. And I, it's one of those things you kind of get what you you don't get what you want. You get what you need. And Jerome Tang has been what K-State needed uh, to, to shift everybody and shift the culture of it. And I'm just over the moon about what the future is going to look like with, with him there at, at the helm. I mean, he continues to say, he said it the other day when he got off at the airport uh, in Manhattan and there were a couple hundred fans waiting for him after the loss and he gave a speech. I mean, he said, look, we're, we're going to have a parade here and it's not going to take long. And he continue. I love that. That's the message. He continues to say, we're going to win a national championship here. Um, and it's just, nobody has ever brought that sort of attitude into K-State combined with the ability to back it up because he is just such a genuine, genuine guy. What you see is what you get. And I'll admit, like, I'm not even, like, on the, on the surface, like, in a vacuum, the craziest fan of, like, going into the opposing locker room, like FAU after the game and saying something. To Neither play. am I, yeah. But what with him, that's just – I know that it's genuine. Like, a part of the reason I don't like it is because you kind of wonder, like, in a vacuum, like, is there some recruiting angle here? Like, what is going – what is the angle here? I just – Is this about you or is this about them? It's just him. That's just him. That's how he is. Like – um, he is an unbelievable human being, like a better human being than I could ever dream of being. And uh, that's, that's just who he is all the time. And I just, I don't, he, he is the best thing that has happened to K-State since Bill Snyder. Uh, firmly convinced of that for sure. All right, John, where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? Uh, on Twitter at J.O. Kurtz, uh, if you want that. And then the YouTube channel is just my name, J-O-H-N-K-U-R-T-Z. Uh, tons of Big 12 fans there. That's all Big 12 centric content. Um, if you're a K-State fan and you want some K-State specific content, we do the uh, Three Mod podcast, me and Cole Manbeck and Derek Young. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. There's Three Mod, Three M-A-W, like e with a three. Awesome. We appreciate your time. Uh, Derek Young, make sure you guys follow him. On, oh, Derek Young. John, you just said his name. Uh, John Kurtz, follow him on Twitter, J-L Kurtz. And you guys can find all of his work at those places. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Hey, anytime, Josh. Take care.